we didn't deserve it, but certainly we were worth it. Right? And to say that and to say that we are unworthy is to say you weren't worth it. And I'm telling you that God loves you enough that he said you're worth it. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. So listen, this morning we are going to continue our current seven-part series that we're on that we've entitled The Covenant. If you're taking notes this morning, and I certainly encourage you always to take notes just simply because it helps you remember it. Anyways, if you're taking notes, this is part five. Kind of, kind of my hope in, in this, I'll just throw this out there before we pray, is at the beginning of the year I know the Lord spoke and said that in this year he wants to bring, he wants to cultivate order in our lives. And I believe that this series you know, really has a significant part to do with that. You know, you know, when you begin to understand the, the covenant that God has made for you, you know, through Christ on your behalf, it causes you to live different. Amen? And so, listen, if you guys could just grab a hold of this and begin to maybe just simply ask God this. God, will you help me begin to cultivate a covenantal lifestyle? Right where I begin to live as a son, as a daughter that knows my rights and my privileges as a son of God that knows, or a daughter of God that knows my place, it'll change everything. Amen? Amen. Uh, today is really simply this. It's Gospel 101, but, but hopefully you'll be able to see the, the covenant in the middle of it. Okay? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for just your presence here this morning. Lord, we just say collectively, God, you're good. God, thank you for your unconditional love for us. Lord, truly, God, in our minds, Lord, we can't grasp it all. We don't understand it all. Lord, we just simply by faith today just believe that you love us. And, uh, Father, we pray today, God, that you would begin to create and cultivate within us, God, uh, just the ability to live a lifestyle that's based, that's founded on the covenant. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come today and do what you do best, and that's to reveal truth. Would you come today and just open our eyes and our ears and our heart, God, and just pour out heaven upon us today. Father, we thank you, God, for giving us a clearer understanding today of who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, we just pray just from just a response from our own heart, God, that we would live a lifestyle of worship for you, God. And so, Lord, we just bless you. Thank you for the anointing today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, as we have uh, discussed over the past few weeks, that we know when we read the Bible, literally from Genesis to Revelation, we not only see God repeatedly making covenant with men, but we also see men following his example by making covenant with one another. So it's through these covenants that we clearly see a God-given pattern emerge in the covenant, and uh, we'll say the covenant-making process, and as we've said for weeks, just kind of keep us running in the same direction, we know that the seven components of our covenant are this, we'll throw it up on the screen, that each covenant has a covenant representative, has a covenant oath, has a covenant promise, has a covenant sacrifice, has a covenant seal, a covenant meal, and lastly, a covenant memorial. Now, it is from this pattern of those seven things that theologians have come to define covenant as this. I just keep saying this because I want to get in your spirit. It's an agreement between God and his people. Is that you today? 
Amen. So it's agreement between God and his people in which he has made binding promises based off of his unconditional love. Now, once again, I would like to add to that definition by saying that the binding promises found in the covenant are always sealed or authorized by the blood and by a sacred oath. Can you say the blood this morning? Amen. So listen, for the past three weeks, we have talked about the covenant representative. We've talked about the covenant oath. Last week, we talked about the covenant promise. And today, we're going to turn our attention to the fourth component on that list, which is the covenant sacrifice. And more specifically, we're going to talk about the blood of the sacrifice. Amen. So how many of you guys know you wouldn't be where you're at today without the blood? Amen. All right. So listen, we know that not only biblically, but also all throughout history and even today in certain parts of the world that at the making of a covenant, when two covenant representatives come together, there's always the shedding of blood. Now, we know this because after they uh, declare their binding promises to one another and after they you know, give the sacred oath, they would always take an animal and they would kill it. Right, And after they killed it, they would literally split the carcass down the middle, and they would literally put it in two halves, and then the, the covenant representatives would walk through that bloody path, sometimes in the form of a figure eight, but they would walk between those two pieces of the divided animal, and by doing so, they were saying this. They were saying that this process served as a symbol that both parties, on the behalf of what? Their two families, their two tribes, their two nations, that they were now entering into, literally when they would begin to walk between the two pieces, that they were entering into a death and they were going to come out into a new life. Now, they, they were also saying this, that they were dying to living for their own self-interest and were stepping into a new relationship or a new union with the other party that was based off the promise and the commitment to serve one another's interests. Am I making sense to you today? Amen. So listen, in, in many instances, they would also shed their own blood. And we know they usually did this by cutting their right arm or their right hand. And uh, after they made the incision, they would actually raise their uh, you know, bleeding right arms and they would call upon God to be the witness of the covenant. And so watch this. So the combination of the animal sacrifice and their own bloodshed, it made the powerful statement before God and the witnesses there they were saying this, that I will keep this covenant even if my, my own blood has to be shed to do so. And they would also say this, and may my own blood be shed as a punishment if I break this covenant. So as you can see, this is a very serious transaction. Now, listen, I don't know about you today, but when I hear all of that, my immediate thought is this, is where in the world did they get this idea of shedding blood from? Like, wh- wh- where did that come from? And it's very unique that it's not only in, in essence what we would call, you know, the Christian history, but it's also in pagan history. But where in the foundation of people did they get this idea that shedding blood is something of significance? I believe to answer that, we got to go back to the beginning. Amen? Yeah. Listen, the Bible tells us this in Genesis one twenty six. When I say this is gospel, this is gospel. It says, then God said, let us make a man and a woman. Fellas, you happy for a woman? Amen. Let us make a man. It'd be pretty boring if it was just us. Let us make a man and a woman in our image to be like us. So God created man and woman and shaped them with his image inside of them. In his own beautiful image, he created his masterpiece. Yes, male and female, he created them. 
Now, the Bible goes on to tell us that God, after he created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the Garden of Eden where he told them to tend or to care for the garden. As he put them there, he only gave them one commandment, and uh, one commandment specifically to Adam. He didn't give it to Eve. He gave it to Adam, and he simply said this in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. It says, God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work and watch over it. And God commanded him, you may freely eat of every fruit of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree that gives the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will most certainly die. Now, obviously, he was talking about a spiritual death there, correct? Now, listen, we don't know how long they were in the garden, but we know that there came a time, because the Bible tells us that Satan entered the garden in the form of a snake, and he came with one intention in mind, and that was to deceive and to, to, uh, to tempt Adam and Eve. Now, let's look at this portion of Scripture that's a little bit longer. All right, Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, Now the snake was the most cunning of all living beings that God had made. <clears throat> He deeply asked the woman, did God really tell you you must not eat fruit from any tree of the garden? But the woman interrupted, we may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except the tree in the center of the garden. God told us, do not eat its fruit or even touch it. We know he didn't say don't touch it. She made that up. Or you'll die. Verse 4. It says, but the snake said to her, you certainly won't die. God knows that the moment you eat of it. Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree produced delicious fruit, delightful to look upon, and desirable to give one insight or wisdom. I like what the New Living Translation says at this point. It says, the woman was convinced. It says, so she took its fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he also ate it. Immediately their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked, vulnerable, and ashamed. So they sewed fig leaves together for coverings, or they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Let me pause there for a second. The reason this is significant, and if you can, just grab a hold of that portion of Scripture. It's going to be needed throughout the rest of the day. But, but it's important for us to understand that the reason they immediately felt this need to cover themselves is because they were accustomed to, to being covered or blanketed by the very glory of God. And so when they, they bit whatever fruit it was, immediately the glory was lifted off of them, and then they saw themselves as one being exposed and vulnerable and uh, ashamed, as it just said. It says in verse 8, it says... Then Adam and his wife heard the sound or the voice of God passing through the garden in the breeze of the day. That statement is significant because it implies that God was doing this daily, that he was daily waiting and longing for friendship and intimacy with them. And it says, so they hid among the trees, concealing themselves from the face of God. Then God called Adam's name and asked, where are you? That was a opportunity to repent. That was the goal. Verse 10, Adam answered, I heard your powerful presence moving in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who told you you were naked, God said. Did you eat the fruit of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Let's pause there for a second. I I simply want to submit a question to you today that... The instant that Adam and Eve yielded you know, to the temptation, the commitment of the original sin, here's the question. In that moment, what did they lose? Watch this. I believe the Bible makes it really clear here in Genesis 3. We've already read a good portion of this, but also throughout many scriptures in the Bible that because of their sin, the first thing they lost was this. We just said a while ago, they lost their covering. 
They lost their protection. In other words, uh, you know, as soon as they lost the way they do, in response, they tried to fix their own problem that they created uh, by creating a counterfeit covering. The second thing they lost is this. They lost their peace. And listen, there's people in this room that can tell you that shame always robs us of our peace. And what happens is it also produces fear in God's presence. So this fear caused them to not only hide, but it caused them to lose the third thing, which was their place of belonging and security in God's presence. The next thing they lost was their innocence and purity. Why? Because now their eyes were open to evil, and this opened them up to the onslaught of the enemy's lies and deceptions that they did what? It was concerning what? How do you lie? Concerning the goodness of God and concerning their place in Him. And obviously when you lose your place in God, it caused them to lose what? Their identity as beloved sons and daughters. Am I making sense to you today? The next thing they lost was what? Obviously, they lost their freedom. They, they were no longer free to live with God in the garden. They were now subject to a new master and his bondage of sin, sickness, and oppression. It's called slavery. Amen. The last thing they lost, and probably most important, is they lost their intimate, joyful, fulfilling, life-giving relationship with the Creator and Father, God Himself. If I'm making sense to you this morning, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, now, watch this. That is significant. God creates Two perfect beings puts them in a perfect environment, and we know the enemy comes and tempts them, and they fail, right? They fold. And uh, so just kind of with that mindset, in the midst of Adam and Eve's betrayal, how did God respond? Watch this. Did he internally reject them? Did he destroy them and start over with two couple or another couple that, that would comply better with his wishes? You, you know, did he turn a blind eye as if nothing happened? Absolutely not. So what did God do? Guys, this is the crux of everything we're going to talk about. Is out of his, once again, going into last week, his unconditional love for Adam and Eve, for all mankind, no doubt, he did the unthinkable. Look at Genesis 3, verse 21. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Somebody say, clothe them. Come on, can we say it like we mean it? Clothe them. Listen, what in the world does that mean? It, it means this. It means rather than disregarding Adam and Eve, God from a position of grace and from a position of mercy chose an innocent animal from his creation, which I've told you before, I personally believe it was a lamb, to become the first substitute. Can we say first substitute? First substitute. To be the first substitute to do what? To bear the weight and the punishment of man's sin. So instead of punishing Adam and Eve, he laid their sin on this innocent animal where under the penalty of death, he sacrificed and spilled its innocent blood on their behalf. Listen, then as many theologians believe, and I believe it's accurate, that God took, you know, still the, you know, moist with blood, you know, this animal skin, and he laid it upon Adam and Eve to not only replace the the guilty couple's fig leaves attempt at a covering, but also to clothe or to cover their bodies to show them as a symbol that he has indeed provided atonement. Atonement simply means a covering by what? By a blood sacrifice for their sins. I hope you hear me today. Listen, by, by this single act of love, of sacrificing this innocent animal, God revealed three things. If you're taking notes, write these down because they are significant in the core of the gospel. The first thing that he revealed was this. Was number one, his willingness to initiate covenant with mankind. In other words, he didn't wait on man to do something to deserve to be rescued. Great place to say amen. Okay? 
He didn't wait on us, right? He took initiative and he approached us. The, the second thing that he revealed was this, is that forgiveness only comes through covenant or by a blood sacrifice. Listen, Hebrews 9.22 says this, And without shedding of blood, there is no remission or there is no forgiveness of sin. Number three, the third thing that he revealed by this simple act was the pattern. He revealed the pattern of a substitute as an acceptable offering between him and mankind. Now, simply put, what is a substitute? A substitute is one that acts that acts of basically one replacing another. In essence, here's something we'll all understand here. It is, you know, how many of us back in the old days, we'd show up at school. For some of us, way longer than the rest of us. But, but we would show up. It's okay to laugh. We would show up at school, right? And we'd sit down in old English class, and that wasn't our teacher. There was a substitute that was there that was filling the spot for that individual. In other words, they, they in essence, uh, they met the requirement for the day. But how many of you guys know, just a little getting ahead of myself, the substitute was never like the real thing. Amen? Never like the real thing. So he showed the pattern of a substitute. Now, listen, let's fast forward in the Genesis narrative. I'm just trying to give you a good doctrinal foundation here, okay? So grab a hold of this. So, listen, without going too far in depth, this revealing of an acceptable offering is why God accepted Abel's offering and why he rejected Cain's. Listen to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now Adam had slept with his wife, and she conceived and bore a son named Cain. She said, By the grace of God, I have birthed a man. Then later she gave birth to Cain's brother Abel. Let me pause there for a second. Notice that it said that she conceived once and gave birth twice. That's why many theologians believe that Cain and Abel were actually twins. Just a thought for you. That was free. It says, it says Abel grew up to be a shepherd and Cain became a farmer working the ground. And some time passed, Cain presented an offering to God from the produce of the land, the work of his own hands. It says, Abel also brought his, covering, his offering sorry, from among the finest of the first fruits of his flocks. So, so clearly, guys, that there, there must have been some set time that came to place that this is when we bring offerings, right? So it says this. It says, God was very pleased with Abel and accepted. Can we say accepted? accepted. He accepted his offering. But with Cain and his offering, God was not pleased, making Cain furious and resentful. So God said to Cain, why are you so angry and bothered? Y'all listen to this verse. If you offer what is right, won't you be accepted? Now, how would Abel and Cain have known what was right or what was an, an acceptable offering? And obviously it was one that God, God obviously thought he should know, right? The, the, only, the only thing I can think, the only reason that they can know that is simply because their parents told them, what God did uh, for them after they sinned in the garden. Yeah. Right? L- listen, so obviously Abel clearly heeded his parents' instructions and was accepted, while Cain rejected those same instructions by offering that which came from the ground. Now, here's key. Notice that after the fall of man, that, that literally God cursed the ground. It was the very place that the, even the fig tree came from, fig leaves, right? And, and so here it is. He's offering something from the ground, from a place that was cursed. Thus, he, what? He was rejected. So quite simply, and hopefully you understand this statement, he offended the pattern found in the covenant-making process. Amen? 
So listen, as we continue throughout, you know, once again, biblical Old Testament history, we find others following the right pattern such as this. I'll just give you some off, off the top of my head here. Obviously, Noah made sacrifices when he came off the ark, right? We, we know that Abraham made a sacrifice when it came to uh, the cutting of the, sacri- of, of the circumcision. We know that uh, Abraham also cut covenant with Abimelech. We know that Jacob, uh, you know, made covenant with Laban. We know that David sacrificed, blood sacrifice, and when the ark of the covenant came back into Jerusalem. But, but probably the most notable one, and it's what we're going to talk about here for a second is this is we saw it in the priest following once again the right pattern through the mosaic law which came the sacrificial system so let's just look at that for a second we, we know that these guys under the law of moses that they made a blood sacrifice in the tabernacle or the temple to cover people's sins watch this every single day every day they killed an animal and sacrificed an animal, spilt its blood as an offering for the people's sins. But watch this. There was a, an important day, which was called the, that was happened once a year. That was the day of atonement, the day of covering, right? That the priest would examine two lambs or two goats uh, that were without, and he would do what? He examined them and he'd select two that were without a blemish. And as the, the representative of the people, the priest would do this. This is significant. That he would go and he would actually uh, lay hands on one of the lamb's head. And he began to confess the sins of the people. Can, can you imagine if you were sitting there? Because obviously there was mass crowd. Everybody came out. And when you begin to hear your sins. And he began to basically lay hands and, and he began to basically confess the sins. And, and symbolically this was transferring the spiritual condition of the people to the animal that would stand in their place, the substitute, right? Then he would do what? Then he would kill the animal. We know he would cut the juggler vein. Blood would always come out. They would catch it in the basin, and he would later take that, uh, take that blood, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, who we know is representation of Jesus, right? That he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Why? To make an atonement or a covering or forgiveness for the people's sin. Now watch this. So that was the one that was selected to die, the, the, the lamb or the goat that was selected to live. They would go, and he would take it again, and he would lay hands on that living lamb, and he would begin to confess the people's sins one more time, thus symbolically transferring the people's sins one more time. And then he would do this, and he would lead uh, that lamb into the wilderness, and he would send it away never to return again. Now, why did he do that? Because, because it gave the people an imagery of what happened behind the veil when he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. That their sins were now covered and lost in the eyes of God that they were forgiven. Amen. All right, so before we move forward, I think there's a significant question we need to ask. And, and it's simply this. And it's kind of hard to explain, to be honest with you. But, but what was the significance of shedding blood. Like, why blood, right? Uh, let's look at what God said about this in Leviticus 17, 11. This is actually the, 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 the center scripture, uh, basically the covenant in, in, in really just the gospel in all these areas. Leviticus 17, 11. It says, for the life of the body is in its blood. Listen, we all know in this room, scientifically and just experientially, that if all your blood drains out of your body, you're dead. It's really that simple, right? If you didn't learn nothing today, there you go. If you didn't know, now you know. All right, here we go. <coughs> so, so he goes on and says, it says, I have given you the blood on the altar 
to purify you, making you right with the Lord. Watch what he says. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. To, to put it crudely, what he's saying is, is that the animal died so that God's people could live. It was an exchange. So listen, that God out of his mercy chose to allow the animal's life to meet the necessary payment, which once again was the cost of a life in return for his temporary atonement and temporary covering of their sins. Are y'all hearing me today? The, the reason I say temporary is because obviously we all know that uh, just like all those guys did back then, that even though uh, this, that they knew the, the pouring out of the animal's blood, they knew this, that it couldn't uh, completely dissolve man's sin, right? Right? So, so listen, the, the animal sacrifice, though, found uh, their significance and meaning by God's people, by giving God's people, sorry, by giving God's people hope for the day when God would send the final, the, the once and for all time covenant sacrifice. Amen? Therefore, watch this. Here's what's so neat to me. Therefore, all of these guys, these thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals that were sacrificed over the years, that to them it provided hope because they knew what? Because it pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the pointing of Jesus, the pointing of the new covenant that he would come to establish on our behalf. Yeah. It's incredible. So, so that, that's why, that's why the, uh, the Bible says that all those guys back in the day, that they looked forward to the day that you and I live in. Right? Because all they lived is in a symbol and a shadow and a type. They never got to experience the real thing. But, man, we got Jesus. Yeah. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's, let's take all of that and let's roll it into the new covenant. Let's take a look at this, at this covenant sacrifice through the lens of the new covenant that's, that we know that's found in Christ. Listen to these verses. For a minute, we're going to let the Bible do some talking. All right? Here we go. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. It says, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, what? Spotless lamb, the pattern of God. Now, verse 20 says, God chose him as your ransom or as your substitute long before the world began. In other words, out of God's, uh, God the Father's unconditional love, once again, he chose to do the unthinkable. What's the unthinkable? That he chose our lives over the life of his own son. That he literally chose uh, for Jesus to die, to shed his innocent blood as a sacrifice so that you and I could live. That's incredible, right? So I like the way one author put it, and we'll throw it up on the screen so you can read along. But he's, he described the process of, the, of basically the blood. Because I think all the time we look at the Bible and we see it as, you know, when he hung on the cross, that's when the blood was there. But notice what he says. He says, the blood began to be shed in Gethsemane when, uh, anticip- when he anticipated the horrors that awaited him. He sweat great drops of blood through the pores of his skin. When guards came to arrest him, his tunic was stained crimson with the blood of the covenant. It continued to be shed in the vicious torture that was inflicted upon his body, the scourging and the crown of thorns being jammed into his forehead. It was complete on the cross uh, with the nails to his hands and feet. And finally, with the spear thrust of the soldier into his side, releasing the flow of what? Of blood and water. And then he says, God the Son in our humanity as us and for us was making covenant with God the Father. The life is in the blood. And in this case, the blood was shed. The blood that was shed was the physical blood of God that flowed through the veins of the God-man, Jesus Christ. 
get, can I, let me maybe pause here, and I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I want to say something real quick. So I've told you, I've told you this before, but I, I feel like I need to say it again. Is, you know, once again, you, you know, we know that when we go to a store, right, we, we purchase, uh, you know, certain items at a certain amount, you know, whatever. You, you know, I looked in our fridge yesterday. I think we had 10 gallons or half gallons of milk. Okay, when you got four kids, you cruise through milk. Okay, so so anyway, so obviously, uh, you know, when we went to Walmart, Hannaford, or whatever it was, we purchased, uh, you know, whatever a carton of milk, and and obviously the price that was on it is what determined the value of that milk. Yeah. Right, and, and so so just to think about something, if we want to ask what's our value as human beings, and we need to stop and ask ourselves, you know, how much uh, do we you know, do we think or what price amount or what, uh, you know, price tag do we put on the blood of God? So, so let's, I'm trying to help somebody here. And, and, you know, so in that sense, man, God is saying, man, you're worth the price of his blood. Yes. Come on. I, is, is there a price? Listen, so I'm saying that because of this, because, li- listen, people who have uh, very religious backgrounds, they, they tend to say this, we're so unworthy. And I just want to say something today. That word rubs me wrong. Every time somebody says that, it just doesn't settle well with me. I love the people. It just doesn't settle. It's my opinion, okay? So hear this with grace, that that I think maybe, uh, maybe if if he was willing to shed your blood, he thought you were worth it. In fact, fact, I'll just say this, that the Bible says that Cain, right, that, that when Cain killed Abel, when we know that, that when God came, he said that your, that your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And, and, and so we know that in Genesis, we know in Hebrews that, once again, that his, it says his blood is still crying out from the ground. So if you could just hear today that, that the blood of Jesus would say that it would cry out that you were worth it. Yeah. Amen. So, so listen, so, so maybe... So maybe a better word to use, I'm not trying to offend anybody, is simply saying this, that we, that we didn't deserve it. Because I think that's accurate. We didn't deserve it, but certainly we were worth it. Right? And to, say that, and to say that we are unworthy is to say you weren't worth it. And I'm telling you that God loves you enough that he said you're worth it. Okay? Amen? Amen. So break off that, please. Okay? Um, let, let me add something else there. You, you know, listen, typically people who say that are very insecure people. And the reason they're very insecure, insecure is because there's power in our words, right? We speak life and death. And so think about when you speak that you're, that you're unworthy, you're speaking that you're worthless. And, and then, therefore, you are going to struggle with your, with your confidence and your worth and your value in this life. So do yourself a favor. Get rid of that. Get out of your language. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we go. So, so taking everything that we've talked about so far, let's look. And, man, this, this is so good. I, it, it, it's so good. Just grab a hold of it. In fact, a uh, little homework, homework, homework for you. It's been a while. Homework for you. Uh, if you want to really get a good understanding of all this, go read Hebrews 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Just make it your homework this week, all right? Here we go. Hebrews 9, verse 11 says this. It says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands, is not, and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, watch this key verse, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption for 
forever. Amen. Verse 14 says, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Fast forward to verse 24. It says, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Y'all hear me today. So, so let, let me maybe pause there before we read the next verse. Listen, when Jesus was on the cross and he screamed, it is finished. He wasn't saying, man, I'm, I'm hurt and I'm broken. No, no, no. He was saying, look, once and for all, the final covenant sacrifice, it is finished. It is done. Amen. Listen, Hebrews 10 verse 19 says this, it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, that's us, watch this, because of everything that happened, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of what? Because of the blood of Jesus. So do yourself a favor, quit acting like you're unworthy to come into the presence of God. The blood of Jesus has made you worthy to enter into the presence of God. That is your belonging place. Amen. It says in verse 20, it says, By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain, that's the veil, into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right in to the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood on the mercy seat to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Amen. 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 Y'all give me a few more minutes. I want to bring this full circle really quick. Uh, Listen, earlier we talked about what Adam and Eve lost when they they basically gave in to sin in the garden. Uh, But have we stopped and asked ourselves, since since Adam and Eve, right? Uh, Since Adam, sorry, not Eve. Since Adam was the first covenant representative for all mankind, meaning that all of us were in him because we were in the seed of Adam, what did the human race, what did we, what did you and I, what did you lose when Adam sinned, because you lost there. Yeah. Amen? So watch this. Like Adam, it's the same list, but different ways. So look, like Adam, we lost what? We lost our covering. Meaning, meaning watch this. Today, everybody please listen to this. Please listen to what I'm about to say. Today, we may not try to, you know, uh, create, you know, a covering by using fig leaves. But like Adam and Eve, we as humans tend to fall prey to thinking that we can create another way of salvation. Right, And it typically is based off this. Well, they're a good person. Right? That is, that, listen, that does not meet the pattern that's found in covenant. L- listen, there's going to be, y'all hear what I'm about to say, please. There's going to be a lot of good people in hell. Right? Because why? Because it, it's, it's a fig leaf mentality that they're trying to get to heaven with, and it doesn't work that way. Right? That doesn't mean God's mean. doesn't mean God's angry. Listen, God, out of his love, has already provided the way. You can't get any more loving than that. Amen? So, listen, when, when, when we all try to do something, right? When, let me say this. Second thing, what did we lose? We lost our peace. 
That it's true when a, when a person's covering is lifted, they will all, always live what? Uh, not only in shame, but also in fear concerning what? Concerning their future. Please listen to me, because I've met Christians that are so afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. Right? I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the week. I don't know what's going to happen. I, and it could be, I don't, you know, I don't know where we're getting our next meal from. I don't know how we're going to pay that bill. I don't know how we're going to do X, Y, Z. I don't know how it's going to restore this relationship. Listen, guys, I've been walking with them for over 20 years. I've seen all of it. Seem to be faithful. Why? Because there's a covenant in place. Amen? So, so listen, but I think the people who lack peace and they're walking in fear and shame, ultimately they're saying this, I don't know God's heart and I don't know his nature. What? Because when you don't know God's heart and God's nature, guess what's the next thing there? You will automatically lose your place of belonging and security in God's presence. God's presence ceases to be safe. Are y'all hearing me today? Listen, like Adam and Eve, what? This causes us to hide our lives from what? From his voice. I mean this. I've literally met a person that was a believer that was scared to death to open up the Bible. They're scared of his voice. Something's wrong there. Yes? So, so listen, they're scared of his voice, scared of his presence. Why? Because once again, there's fear and there's resentment. And what happens when we're not in God's presence, then it's inevitable that we will lose our innocence and our purity. And the reason is because our eyes and our flesh are all open to the temptation traps of the enemy. No, that's true. Say, oh, yeah. So, so listen, when, when we're subject to this endless temptation without uh, the power to resist it, we will surely lose our God-given what? Identity. Are y'all hearing me today? See, it's, it's through securities and lies concerning our identity that will always cause us to lose sight of what? Our sonship. Man, these are things I've preached for years here. Listen, when we lose sight of our sonship, what happens? It causes us to live from an orphan spirit, an orphan mentality. And so often that spirit will tell you this, that you have freedom. But in all reality, what happens is you're a slave to whatever lie and whatever behavior pattern you believe to be true. Right? Depression. Well, I'm just, this is just, you know, I'm suffering for the gospel. No, you're not. Because it isn't the gospel. So, so listen, ultimately, um, I just think this, man, that, that in this room today, maybe just stop and ask yourselves, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be free. What am I a slave to today? Because, because it's really in this thing all the time. Everybody, please listen. It's not, it's not always. We, we have access to total freedom, but most of the time we live in partial freedom because we're still slaves to certain things. So ask yourselves, man, what, do you, what am I a slave to today? Amen? It could be a hundred things. I could be a slave to food. Right? Fried chicken will get you. <coughs> Anyways, listen, now I got to get done. Amen. That's what happens when you get a pastor from Alabama. There we go. So, so listen, ultimately what happens is, is when you're caught up in all this, you, you end up losing uh, the most important thing, which is an intimate relationship with our creator, our source, our father, God himself. Right? But the good news today, and this here what I'm telling you in Hebrews 9:12, is that by the shedding of his blood, Jesus has recovered all of that for us. Amen. Amen. He's recovered it all. Amen. So it's kind of like this, if you can see, family, that the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus not only uh, you know, allows us to be forgiven our sin, but it also allows us to have access to God's protection. Access to God's peace, access to God's presence and security. It gives us access to God's holiness, it gives us access to God's family, access to God's freedom and deliverance, 
access to an overcoming life. In fact, I'll just say it this way. Does the Bible not say in Revelation 12, 11 that uh, basically we have overcome the devil, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb, right? We've been called to an overcoming life. Jesus' blood is made available. And lastly, it's given us access to an intimate and life-giving relationship with the Father. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? So listen, I'll just end with this thing. So obviously you can, you can see from the beginning, uh, you know, look, blood has been a major part of the covenant from the beginning all the way till today. You can't get, you can't, you can't get away from the blood if you're going to walk with Jesus. Because right. in the blood is really where the life is at, right? It's where you exchange life with us. Can you stand to your feet, please? Rachel, can you come play, please? Thank you. Listen, today I just want to, maybe if you can, I should invite you to close your eyes. Bow your head, or as I used to say all the time, bow your eyes, close your head. Yeah. Listen, we would be making a mistake here today if we didn't say, if we, if we spent all day talking about the blood and we didn't give the blood access to our own lives for a moment. Amen? So I, I just, look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to, I'm not going to beg and plead with you. I just want to say one thing really quick. If you're here today and you know that you're at a distance from God, if you know in essence you're like Adam and Eve, that you've been hiding from God's voice, you've been hiding from his presence. In other words, you know you're not saved or maybe you're in a backslidden condition and need to get right with God. Can you just raise your hand please today if you say, look, I'm here today but I want to get right with him. I want that blood of the sacrifice applied to my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else says, man, I'm at a distance and I need to get right today. Amen. Let me ask one more thing today. The blood also gives us access to this incredible thing. It's a gift from God. It's called healing. Amen. Once again, provision. If you're here today and you're like, man, I need... I need the blood of access, the, the access of the blood in a certain area of my life. Would you just lift your hand, please? Yeah, amen. I'm wiggling every finger and toe on that one myself. Can we pray together? Church, if we can, just pray this out loud. We're going to group both of that together. Say, Father God, I come to you today, and I want to thank you that you sent your son for me. That you love me enough that you would make your son a sacrifice on my behalf. So, Father, today I confess not only my sin, but I confess my distance from you. And I ask you today, according to your word, that you would save me today. That you would rescue me today. That you would apply that blood as a covering, as a form of salvation, as a form of forgiveness on my life today. Would you wash me clean from my past decisions and my old life? I ask you today to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Father, today, I give you my life. Help me to live a life that's according to your interest and not my own. I thank you today for everything you've done for me. 
I believe today that Jesus is the Son of God. That He did die for me. And I do believe in the resurrection and the power that comes with it. Amen. Let's pray this. Say, Father, I thank You for everything that the blood has given me access to today. I ask today that that blood once again would cover me in my life from the top of my head to the soles of my feet that your blood would cover my mind would cover my emotions would cover my physical body today I thank you for freedom I thank you for healing I thank you for provision. Come on, why don't you just take a moment and just say, Father, I need this. Come on, I need this today. He's given you access to the throne. Come on, don't be afraid to lift your voice today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, thank you for healing today. God, I thank you for a new heart today in Jesus' name. Thank you for a new heart today in Jesus' name. Say this with me. Say, Father, I want my peace back. I want my joy back. I want my health back. I want my life back. Father, I thank you, God, for every person that's here today. Father, I thank you for every person that has the courage to give you access to their heart and their lives. Father, the last thing I pray, God, if there's anything inside of us that needs to be sacrificed, Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to do so. Father, you said in view of your mercy, of everything we just talked about today, God, you said to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. And you said that this is our spiritual act of worship. And so, Lord, today, if there's anything that needs to be rearranged within us, anything that needs to be sacrificed within us, Lord, we sacrifice that today so we can live a life of worship, a life that pleases you. Come on, one last time. Let's just, if we can, can we just put our hands together and lift our voice and just thank God for who he is today. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.